Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Let's get into part two. We kicked off a series last week. This is a series we're having so much fun with. Our creative team is having a blast with us. And so we are uh, getting this rolling and we're called this series Filtered. And the reason is, is this very first line of your notes, and we're going to come back to this over and over and over again, that our perception of life is shaped. It is shaped by whatever filters we're looking through. All of us have filters. All of us skew the input that comes in to our lives, the way we process and handle situations. We skew it by what's going on. I mentioned last week, you know, that, that this whole thing of just texting one another, you know, is dangerous because we read it with a filter. You know, I mentioned that, you know, you could answer with wonderful. And wonderful could mean wonderful. But if it's got a little sarcastic bent on it, wonderful does not mean wonderful. Every husband knows that fine doesn't necessarily mean fine. Or go ahead doesn't mean you've got my permission. Can I do this? Sure, go ahead. Woo, brakes. Danger, danger. This is not what it sounds like. Because there's a filter. There's other stuff that's there, and we have to recognize if we're going to be able to walk with God the way we're supposed to walk with God, if we're going to be able to connect with God the way we're supposed to, we have to recognize that our filters will skew our view of Him, our view of ourselves, and our view of others. And we have to let His truth come in and be the truth we make decisions by. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. We can be convinced beyond convinced that we're reading the situation right and not be at all. See, today, last week, we talked about the Jesus filter. We have to look at everything through Jesus. We have to look at at even the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, modern scriptures. We have to look at it through the filter of Jesus or we will skew them wrong. But the filter we're going to look at today is the filter that everybody in the room is carrying with us. And that's the filter of our hurts. That's the filter of our pain. That's the filter of our place of biggest disappointments. And everything we come at in life can begin to carry a filter if we don't let God bring in the healing place. If we don't let him come in and bring some restoration. One of my favorite stories on this concept that, that we can begin to, to bring our pain forward with us if we don't allow real healing to happen. Some of you could tell this story for me. But it's my story about my, my papa. My papa is, he's 84 now and doesn't get to go out to the golf course like he did. But my papa, I mean, just was on the golf course in Andrews, Texas all the time. That little golf course there in Andrews is just a little jewel in the middle of a wasteland of West Texas. It is just, it ought, it is, it's just beautiful. It's always green. It's always lush. It's, it's a, one of the best little public courses around. It's awesome course. And, and my papa just would get off work and he would go out there. I, I grew up and I'd go stay with him. I'd go out there and hang out with, with my grandfather. 
and put around, drive the golf cart. It was so awesome. One of his buddies carried a 22 in his golf bag and shot squirrels out on the, so it was, it was always an adventure out on the golf course. It was, uh, it was a ton of fun. But you spend that much time out on the golf course, and at some point, one of those flying white spheres might impact you. And my papa got hit with golf balls multiple times. Multiple times. It's just the law of averages. He also has made two hole-in-ones. And so out on par threes, that's the law of averages. He's hit so many golf balls, it's bound to happen at some point in time. Well, sure, sure enough, years ago, he was out there, and he'd tell the story, and he says, I was out on old number one tee box. And he'd tell the guy's name, Johnny, Johnny Duffer or whatever. And so he's out there and t- tells the guy, he said, would you believe he's sitting there and he's driving there on number one tee box, and would you believe when he goes and hits that ball, man, he toes it, and that ball flies through the air, and it comes over there, and it just hits me, just, oh. And I still got the bruise. Or this Papa told this story for like a year. And six, nine months into this, he still had the bruise. I don't care how bad the golf ball hit you. How I don't care if if Tiger Woods drove it into your chest. Six months later, you're not gonna have that a bruise. The bruise that he carried six, nine months, however long was the bruise he got of retelling the story, of making sure that the person who heard it understood the impact, understood how bad it hurt, understood so they could fully sympathize. And you know what? We need people in our lives to pour into and to help us and that we can be honest with. But at some point, we have to be more interested in letting God heal us than letting us be stuck in our pain, and in our hurt. And if you don't first say, God, I want to be fully healed more than I want the sympathy of being hurt, then you will stay in your place of hurt until you are ready to truly let it go. But what we want to see is God change our lives forever. I want you to take your (coughs) notes Go ahead and open them up. If you're tracking along in version, it's right there ready for you. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We're going to look at this multiple times. <clears throat> Paul tells us, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Remember, there's a filter. There's a lens that wants to come in and shift the way we see everything. And it's the pattern of this world. And it wants to jack up our image of God, our image of us, and our image of each other. And, and Paul tells us, don't be conformed to it. He's talking to believers. He's not talking to everybody on the outside of the church. He's talking to people who were Christ followers. We still have this thing that if we don't watch it, our image is going to be skewed. But he tells us there's something else, not just to resist the world. You will find yourself exhausted if all you try to do is dig your heels in and resist the pattern of the world. No, there's a different option. We give our energies to something This is what helps us to not be conformed. We do something else. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. We allow and give permission for the Holy Spirit to change the way we see things. To literally begin to give up our interpretation of things the way we think we understand them and let our minds be renewed, be changed. Let 
the hurt, let the disappointment, let all of the different stuff we're going to look at after the week, over the weeks ahead, be, let those be renewed in our minds. Because then, and only then, will you be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good will. God's will for your life is good. And it is pleasing not just to him, but to you as well. You will find yourself in pleasant places, surprisingly pleasant places when you allow God to truly lead you and guide you in your life. And you'll find your perfect spot. It's good, pleasing, and perfect. I want us to now look at Hebrews 11.1. Because every setback, hurt, pain in our lives wants to come in and shift. The enemy of our souls wants to come in and take that and to use all of those things. And we have to understand this truth. Hebrews 11.1 tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith, this concept of us trusting God, is this assurance of these things that are hoped for. Well, another place in the scripture says we don't hope for things we already have. I'm not sitting there and hoping I have my iPad this morning. I have it. As I walked in, I had a little moment. Did I bring it? And then I hope I have it with me. I did have it with me. But hope is something that sits there and and it's future. And we're this positive connection, this thing that we believe that what this beautiful thing we're hoping for is actually going to manifest in our lives. And when we are connected and this thing is a promise of God and we're trusting God, that is a place of faith. It is not yet manifested in our lives. We're hoping, but we are sure that God is faithful and he's gonna do it. That is our faith. I love the the way the New King James Version puts it. It says, now faith, it's the substance. It's what becomes the solid part Faith is the solid part of the things we've hoped for, the evidence of things that haven't been seen with our eyes yet. That is why we walk by faith and not by sight. So many times people can frame, and it sounds good, that the opposite of faith is fear, but it's not. Fear is a manifestation of something negative we're actually believing. The opposite of faith, according to the scripture, is sight. Looking at what we actually see in front of us. And ultimately, every hurt, everything that disappointment, everything that's gone sour in our lives, the enemy wants to come in and use that to undermine and remove hope. What happens with every little fight and tension and whatnot inside of a relationship? It begins to erode the hope. It begins to erode the hope that that relationship is going to be whole and healthy. And if you don't have a solid picture of what God is doing and what God is going to carry in that relationship, you begin to lose faith. We can look that in any place in our lives. We can face some really, really, really difficult circumstances when we know that the end result is going to be God's good and glory coming from it. But when we begin to lose hope, it erodes and undermines our faith. And see, our pain can cause us to see life in an unhealthy, unrealistic way. We will not see the truth that's actually right in front of us. We won't see it. Our pain, the darkness, 
in one spot. And I'm not saying we don't have real darkness, but that darkness will then begin to make us see the rest of our lives in an unhealthy, not real way. Now, thanks to my son Weston and, and his joy of watching some Netflix, there's a little show called Mind Tricks on Netflix. And so if you've seen Mind Tricks episode one, you're about to see what I'm about to show you. So act amazed, just act amazed, okay? So thank you, too early, too early. All right, so here we go. Thank you. Now, I want you to look at those two blocks stacked on top of one another, okay? Those two gray blocks are the same color of gray. Those two gray blocks, they are the same color. They're the same color of gray. And I will prove it to you. But your eye is telling you right now one of them's dark and one of them's light. That's what it does. Your brain is wired to work this way. But what I want you to do now is to block out the dark and the light middle. And I want you to put your hand up there and I want you to block out, put your finger, your thumb and block it where you can still see the top and the bottom. Are they the same color or gray? Yes, they are. Now remove it and look again. Look, put your thumb and block out the middle. Hide the line in the middle. When you hide the line in the middle. Now, if you need a little help, we've got another graphic for you that does it. Now, here's the reason. The reason this illusion works, the reason you can have two things that are the same, and you read one is darker and one is lighter, is that shading in the middle. What your experience in life has told you is that that top block is a well-lit, darker gray block, and that that lower block is a poorly lit white block. And that shading is what is telling you that. And now all of a sudden you have this place where you can remove that again. Go back to the other one. That you have this little darkness on this edge of this upper one. And it now begins to make the something that really was a shadow, really was a place of pain, really was a disappointment, begins to shadow and taint the whole thing. The whole thing. And began to paint it in a way that's not realistic. But now you begin to look and you let the light come in. And you begin to see the whole thing in a completely different way. This is why it is so vital that we let God's word be our filter. Let God be the one that decide, makes us say what is dark is dark and what is light is light. Let us tell us what, what is right and what is wrong for us. Begin to speak into our lives and and tell us this because why? Our perceptions aren't always trustworthy. They're just not. Our pain will make us miss God at work right in front of us. And I want us to go now to John chapter 20. We're going to look at a long passage of scripture and we're going to look at a little narrative here of Mary Magdalene and her connection with the resurrected Jesus. So just kind of follow along with me here. Here we go in John 20, verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. 
while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, another one of the gospels tells us why they had gone early. They had taken the spices and the mixtures to finish the preparation of Jesus's burial. There was a, there was a Jewish burial process that had really been influenced by the mummification process of all their time in Egypt. And they had a, they had a religious process of burying and where they, they wrapped the body and they applied oils and spices and all of this different stuff to the, had aloes that they would apply to the, to the body and to the, the wrappings of the body. And she's there with a mindset to finish this. She's going to go and finish this process. She's there early. As soon as the, the Sabbath is, can be said it's over and she can start the work, she's ready to start it as soon as that's up. And she gets there and the stone has been taken away from the tomb. She thinks she's going to have to get somebody to move this big thing. And there it is. It's open. It's a little freaky. It's a little different. It's a little weird. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples to whom the other disciple whom Jesus loved and he said to them and she said to them they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Her paradigm, her view is that I went to go find his body. I was my plans were to finish my grief prep his body. I had this mindset and they have taken him and we don't know where he is. That is her mindset. That is her place of distraught. That is her place of pain. That is her place of frustration. It's layered on top of the fact that this guy who she thought was Messiah was murdered in front of her eyes and her whole world is rocked upside down. And all she can has at the front of her mind is that things are not the way they're supposed to be. I had this setback. Jesus died, and that jacked me over. But at least, oh, at least I could go in and I could finish a proper burial, and we could maybe move on. And that's wrecked, and she's just totally, totally confused. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb, and both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he, he didn't go in. He stoops down and he peeks in and he, he sees the, the wrappings of Jesus' burial cloth. And she, he sees the strips of linen laying there where Jesus had been. But he doesn't go in. And then Simon Peter came following him. And Simon, the little bold, the little brash, he's the one that, charges right in and he goes into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth. He saw that which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. He sees there, this place that had once held Jesus, the, the, the claws, all of that, and there's no Jesus. 
There's no reason. Somebody's going to come and snatch a body. There's no reason in the world for somebody to take all of this stuff off of him and leave it there. There certainly isn't any reason for someone to take something and fold it up neatly. And they see all of this that's there, and they're like, he's risen. They believe. They haven't seen resurrected Jesus. They haven't had an encounter with him yet. They believe They believe. And this is so awesome. It says, for as yet they had not understood the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They're believing, but haven't even fully understand the scriptural implications of it. And then the disciples went back to their homes. They're ready to go back to where they live. They're going to take the truth of what's happened back to their homes. They're ready to move forward with this thing. But something happens in the heart of Mary. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. She couldn't move beyond it. She was stuck. These two guys that she told, the guys that she knew would have the answer, they come, they see the same thing she sees. They're like, boom, he's risen. They believe. They leave. They go back home, and there's Mary. She just still can't. Her place of pain, her place of disappointment, everything is so heavy, it is tainting her. She can't see what the other people saw. She can't see it. She saw the same scenario. She walked into the same thing, and she just isn't grasping it and as she went and she stood and she looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and the one at the feet folks sometimes our place of pain and disappointment is so big that even if we have a supernatural experience it still has not fixed it If you won't let go, an angel can talk to you, and you still hold on to it. She sees two angels. This place, she's so hurt and broken and frustrated. If you don't know the story of Mary Magdalene, she's a lady who's who's said to be a lady of, of questionable background. She's made some really poor choices. There's, uh, the religious people are whispering about her. She's that lady of the community. But yet her encounters with Jesus have made her something else. And all of a sudden now Jesus is gone and she feels deeply, more deeply wrecked than she has ever been. And then the angels, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they have laid him. She tells the angels the same thing she tells the disciples. She's rehearsing the exact same thing. They've taken him. I don't know where he is. They've taken him. I don't know where he is. She's still stuck in the same place of pain, in the same place of of rejection, the same place of hurt, and talking to angels. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Her place of hurt 
and frustration and pain is so encompassing that she's having a, the first person to have an encounter with a risen Savior. She just can't see it. She just can't see it. She's just stuck in her pain. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus is standing right in front. Is, is there somebody else you're needing besides me? Is there, is there something? Who, who are you seeking? And supposing him to be a gardener. This is Jesus, and she thinks he's one of the local workers. She's one of the, he's one of the hired help. She supposes him to be a gardener. She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, somebody had to have stolen him. Somebody had to have taken him. If you've carried him away, please tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. She so needed in her mind that physical dead body of Jesus, she was willing to lug it herself. She was so there that she was willing to grab the, the dead body of Jesus and carry it around. Man, so many times in our places of pain and our hurt, that somehow we think that if we could just carry it a little further, it'll be okay. That we could just carry this dead thing around a little bit longer, it will be okay. I, I'm just not ready to process it. I'm just not ready to deal with this. I just will carry this dead thing around a little bit longer. When the author of life is standing right there, ready to give you something new and something fresh, he is there alive. Who she wanted was there. The healing she wanted, the hope she wanted, the faith that needed to come in was right there. And Jim, Jesus simply said, he didn't rebuke her. He didn't say how little faith you have. How much is it going to take? The two guys you trusted, they believed. You got their opinion and it didn't matter. You talked to two angels. That didn't matter. I'm standing right here. That didn't matter. He's not rebuking her. He's not chewing her out. I love what Jesus does. He says her name. So many times you look in the mirror and all you see is your pain. You think of your life and you think of all the different stuff and all you see is your pain. You think everybody around you, all they see are your mess ups and your pain. But I'm here today that Jesus knows your name. He knows where you are, and that's what he cares about, and that's what he's speaking to. And he knows your name. This morning, if you will let and dare to believe that there can be life, dare to believe that there can be hope again, dare to believe that this thing can be different, and let him speak your name to you. He simply says, Mary. And she turned and saw him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. I see you. I see you. And Jesus said to her, 
Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. This moment isn't about. She'd wanted to cling to his dead body before and carry it around. And he's letting her not even to cling to his living physical body. But there's something bigger here. There's the news of his resurrection. There's the power of what has taken place. And that is bigger than even her moment there. And now fresh life floods in. And she is now, instead of what she would have done, is thrown herself around his ankles and want to never let go. That hope comes in and she is able to do what she has not been able to do before. Walk away from that place of death. She's able to walk away. She's able to leave that tomb and that place of death and step into the life that God had called for her. And Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And they, and that that he had said these things to her. Now she's in a place of life, but she had to let go of her mindset of what this was going to look like. Her expectations of how this was going to unfold. All of her things that she built in her mind, the paradigm, this is how this has to go. And as one step didn't lead to the next step and she got frustrated and disappointed and wanted everything to go her way, she had to recognize that maybe God was doing something bigger in her life. That there was going to be some place of restoration beyond what she could ever wrap her mind around. And I want all of us to understand this this morning. God will take every setback and make it work for our good. Every one of them. Romans 8, 28 reminds us of this, that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God works it. He takes the mess. He takes the brokenness. He takes the dumb stuff we've done and the crud people have done to us and the flow of life, and we put it in his hands, and he takes it, and the master works it back to our good. You have no unusable trash in your life. Zero. None. You have no, you're like, no, there's some stuff I want to forget. No, there's some stuff you don't need to be identified by, but God is going to take that and use that to your good and someone else's good too. I love what the psalmist says. It says, I remain confident of this. Remember, faith is being confident of what we hope for. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God's goodness will come about. It will. We don't have to define the outcome of our walk with God by where we are today or where we were yesterday. But what God is faithful to do and carry us through, that is trusting God. Whether that's in a place of brokenness in a relationship, a brokenness in our own habits and life patterns, a brokenness in our finances, a brokenness in our health, whatever that pain is, God is there and he has promised to carry us through. See, the bottom line is the love God has for us is the bridge between our hurt and our hope. The enemy always wants to come in and make us think somehow God, maybe God loves everybody else, but obviously things have gone so wrong. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe I deserve this. 
But the love of God, that's our bridge between our hurt and our hope. See, looking through the lens of Jesus allows us to see life clearly. We can't. We can't even judge our pain. You're like, I lived it. I get to judge it. No, you can't. No, you can't. It will tint it. It will tint your life. It will tint everything. You give it to God. You don't even get to judge your pain and your own disappointment. We give it to God and let him bring it about. As we close this morning, I just want to pray for those. We'll give it in just a second. I just, I just want to pray. Maybe you're here in a, in a moment, and I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here and you've some place of disappointment, some place of hurt, some place of pain has been stirred up, and it is staring you in the face right now. Some of you are a little aggravated that you came to church because right now I've just stirred something up. But I want to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for all these that are here. And Lord, you know their name. Your Holy Spirit is speaking to right now. Your Holy Spirit is speaking to right now. That they're not defined by the pain. They're not defined by the loss. They're not defined by the mistake or the disappointment. They're defined by being your child. That they are loved. That they're accepted in you. Not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And Lord, I just thank you that your Holy Spirit is washing through here today. Washing through here today. Removing the burden, removing the pain, removing it, Lord, and breathing hope and life. Receive it this morning. Receive the life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.